Hey, welcome to the Movement Young Adults Podcast. This is your host, Elijah, and I'm excited this week. We've got our senior pastor, Pastor Pat, and his wife, Chandra, sitting down and talking all things sex, intimacy, and relationships. This was a great podcast. I'm so excited for you to hear it. Let's dive right into it. If I have not met you, my name is Pat. I am the lead pastor here at the Movement Church. Um, and gosh, we've been out here for almost 23 years um, doing ministry. Raised in Oceanside, um, multiple generations from Oceanside. So that's where I, I hail from, really. San Marcos was like moving to Egypt for me because I grew up surfing and skateboarding and would drive to the mountains and go snowboarding and stuff like that and rode motocross and did a bunch of fun things. Um, but yeah, the Lord called us out here 23 years ago. And then I was irresistible. You were irresistible. So I got paid 20 bucks. Some girlfriends offered me 20 bucks for gas money to ask him to prom. So this was oh. 1991. This was 32 years ago. Dang. And I know gas was probably like 79 cents a gallon yeah. then, yeah. but I needed that money. And so I asked him to prom. Yes. And ever since though, huh? then. So we've been together 32. So we dated six years, six years, and then finally got married at 25. And we are blessed with seven daughters and two son-in-laws right. and grandbabies. So right. um, we've lived a little bit of life. Come on, give a hand for that right yeah. there. That's incredible. Yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing. He thought he was cute too, though, for the 20 bucks, right? You, he was. Okay, yeah. I'm like, yeah, come on. Like, <laughs> he had like long, blonde, like curly toe right, head right. surfer. There had to be a little bit more in there. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> you know, we, uh, we, we, we knew, you know, you, you guys, you've got all the girls, you've got grandkids, so we're like, you guys might as well be professionals on this topic, right? No, we're tonight, uh, if you guys didn't know, we're, 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 we're looking at questions, I think, because when it comes to sex, intimacy, relational intimacy, and dating, um, I, I think the reality is, like, everyone's thinking about it. Everyone's got questions. Uh, it really just, we're wondering, like, where are we going to for answers? Man, if, if this is something that it, we don't talk about in the church, if we don't go to Scripture, then uh, culture is going to be loud, and culture is going to give us an answer. Uh, so really, the, the goal for tonight is, man, can we take a look at what does the Bible say about intimacy? What, what does the Bible say about specifically relational intimacy? Could you guys give us a little bit of a look into that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think what Shandra and I, the best thing that we can do is to frame, before I give you this definition, to frame a little bit of our, our history, right? I think what Elijah said is really important. I think there's a lot of questions that we're asking, but we struggle to find a really good resource, like a true resource. Or we just walk around and we're thinking it. Maybe we have some conversations with some close friends. Uh, for Shandra and I, because we started dating, we were 17, she was 18, I was younger. I'm making a point of that. Um, and we didn't have a really good resource. We, you know, I grew up in the church. I grew up as a little boy going to church, and my parents went to church my whole life. But in the middle of that, um, I think it's important that how you view, first, before I define it, 
how, how we view it is actually, it's most likely through the lens of how you've experienced it, okay? And so I'm just going to share briefly, and Shandra's going to share briefly, um, so that we can, we can frame this a little bit better for you guys. Yeah, so I grew up in the church as well youngest of five kids, and my mom and my parents were older, so older meaning 40 years older when they had me. So that generation, they were called the silent generation. They didn't talk about things, secrecy. They learned things like in their auntie's sewing circle. That's where they heard the gossip. So when I went to my, I didn't actually go to my mom. She's like, as an adult, she's like, I just figured you guys knew more than I did. So that was my exposure. I had older siblings but my story is actually, um, I was introduced to like pornographic images from the little boy next door when I was six to seven years old. So that was my first exposure um, as a little child. And I think what Pat said, it's important when you come into any relationship, but your, how your lens is, is tainted or funneled through like, um, just your worldview. So those pornographic images, they might not even be porn, just images in general that you guys are inundated and bombarded with on the internet. Um, because we have all this, God gave us senses, so all this stimuli, you're just being like assaulted by it. And then just whisper, like the W's, like the world, just what's been whispered to you, um, wounds that you might be coming into, just even this room tonight. So we're going to break the ice real quick. I love it. I love it. Let's break it. Let's yes. Break it. <laughs> okay. So my, my exposure, remembering that what Shandra and I are talking about is, is how you view right now today, before we say a word, how you actually are viewing intimacy, relational intimacy, sexuality, sex, dating, all of these things, because it's, it's already at this age, a lot of that's already been formed in you. You already have a perspective. Um, for her, you know, her exposure was six years old. Mine started at five. Um, I came from pretty traumatic background. So I was physically, sexually, emotionally abused. It started when I was five. Um, I remember being five years old and, uh, the person who was in charge of taking care of me wanted to be able to go do what they wanted to do. So they put in an extremely explicit pornographic movie and put it on the TV and set me in front of it as if it was like a cartoon. You would turn on like Disney Plus for a child. And that was the beginning though. That was my, that was my first exposure, but that was the beginning of what would be a repeated pattern of trauma uh, and it would develop for me a history of just highly over-sexualized traumatic experiences. So when you fast forward to the point that Shandra and I, we meet each other, look, you, you're, and this is to be good for Shandra and I, how many of you are single in the room? Okay. How many, how many of you are, are dating in the room? Anyone married? Anyone engaged to be married? Okay. So every single one of you, this is what I'm confident of. No matter where you sit in any one of those categories that I just asked you to raise your hand for, you have experiences in your life. You have, and again, 
it doesn't have to be to the degree that I just said was for me or Shander said was a pornographic, you know, a magazine with a boy next door showing her this. It can be just the fact that in our society today, we are bombarded without question with highly over-sexualized images that are forming and shaping from a young age, forming and shaping our view on what intimacy really means. Um, I'm going to let Chandra uh, talk a little bit about, well, do you want to talk about intimacy or do you want to share more of our story? Depends. Depends. <laughs> um, let me, I'm going to define, let, let's, let's define what, I'm going to start really broad. Let's define what relational intimacy is. Yeah. Yeah. Is that fair, Elijah? Please. Um, intimacy in our culture, we make it out to be, oh, I was intimate with him. I was intimate with her. Intimacy, we, it has a negative and a positive connotation. Um, the only negative connotation that intimacy carries from a biblical standpoint, the only negative that it carries is illicit sexual immorality. Let me read for you what intimacy really means. Um, this is the be best thing I can do is just give you a super nerdy definition. Let's do it. Uh, the, word, the word intimacy is derived from the Latin word intimate, intes, or within. It, is, uh, it has come to have both moral and immoral connotations. Intimate means close, most inward, very familiar, one's private or most personal self or feelings, resulting from careful study. Intimacy is the state of intimate. This is what I thought was really interesting. Its synonyms are closeness, fellowship, communion, friendship, understanding, sharing, affection, familiarity, being and belonging together personally, physically, and sexually, and I would add spiritually. So intimacy, you are not a physical being alone. You are a, you are a whole being. You're emotional, physical, mental, spiritual being. And intimacy touches every single part of who you are and every single part of the way God designed you. And it's super, super deep, and it's this idea of belonging. What, what I can tell you is, is that every single one of us are born innately to do whatever we can to find ourselves in, to press toward, to fight for intimate relationships. We were made for it. We, we were made out of an intimate union of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We, and that was, that was our, our, our origin. That's our original design, and that's what we are born to actually go toward. Um, but... Because of that and because of things that you potentially have walked through in your life and the way that this idea of intimacy has been formed, you may walk into relationships and you may, you may make decisions that are contrary to potentially what is probably going to be healthy. I would go to add that, so in Genesis 2.24, it says, 223 and 24. Then Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, 
A man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That's the first time we hear of the instance of intercourse. So what's happening in this passage, it's physical, it's sexual, but it also can be, it's for, intended for a lifelong relationship. Um, so, so close, like Pat said, like everything is intertwined, emotional, dating, emotional, physical, spiritual, can create ties. Um, there's a, a Hebrew word called yada, and it means to praise with open hands, like open heart, but it also means to be known, to be known to such a degree, so intimately by God and by somebody else that there is like a profound longing between the two parties to be vulnerable and to in humility and be transparent and know each other. Like we all, there's this something called the insatiable desires. One of those three desires is to be known. The other is food. And the third is sex, actually. Amen. <laughs> it's fun. You guys, it's really, it's a beautiful thing. Right. It's, it's, it's all throughout scripture. Yes. I think that's the thing that we're, we're, we're seeing here is, is the, uh, the Bible isn't silent on intimacy. No. It's actually pretty clear. I, I, I think some of the issue we might have is like, all right, um, I, I, the Bible just isn't clear about, you know, this specific thing. But I, I think what, what we're finding here is, you know, yeah, the Bible is not specific about, but it is specific about intimacy. Man, this is, this is a God created it for us. That's incredible. Okay, that's amazing. So, so that's, that's kind of like that, that biblical view of intimacy. Correct, yeah. And intimacy, what it covers is, if you look at it, it intimacy is going to cover your relationship with your friends, your relationship with your parents, your siblings. Um, it's, gonna, it's, it's going to cover your relationship with a mate, potential spouse, a spouse. Intimacy also is going to cover this deep, sacrificial act of sexual intercourse. And what we do in society is we're like, let's not, and especially in places, you know, we grew up in a time when it was like, don't talk about that. Don't like, let, like, I'm just going to tell you it's bad. I have all, all girls, you know, I'm a daddy of girls. So it's like me walking around saying like, boys are bad. If I say that, you know, boys are bad, sex is bad. It's not good. It's not, it's not amazing. There's nothing positive. Like I'm actually building into my daughters. A, my, I'm, I'm bringing formation that teaches them men are bad and then when they get married and they're supposed to really be able to enjoy sex, they're going to now have a view relationally that says, I'm not supposed to enjoy this. And we know a lot of people that come from amazing backgrounds that I'll even say get, will, will get married, potentially could be virgins, they get married and will have to go to marriage counseling to deal with this, this very thing. Because we've, we've propagated this idea that if we just say it's bad, it's like when you're a little kid and you, mom or dad go, don't go out on the street. And you're like, why? Because if you go in the street, you're going to hit by a car. At some point, you're going to step off the curb and you're going to realize no car hit me. I can tell you that sex is bad. It's the worst thing in the world all day long. The first time you experience it, you're going to go, 
Pat was lying to me. Are you, are you catching what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's one of our goals tonight. There's this quote, um, sexuality is not a problem to be solved, but a territory to be reclaimed. Wow. So that's our hope tonight that you would walk out of here. If there's anybody who's sitting in shame has, has dealt with shame, guilt, like we want to break that off tonight. And so we'll allow for a time to minister to that. Um, one of the things what Pat was talking about, the purity culture, some of your parents maybe grew up, it's a time in the 90s where there was this movement where it's abstain from sex and girls need to be dressed modestly because you're going to be a stumbling block to your brother. And it's all about feeding the guy's sexual desire, so you really need to protect him in that. And some of that is good, and it's true, and it leads to holiness, but sex and intimacy, those three parts that Pat talked about, that is, purity is good. It's not, but it's not just for purity. It's not just for procreation or having seven babies. Right. <laughs> and it's not just for pleasure, but it's all three of those things. Wow. So the, the, the pitfall with that particular purity moment, like you guys abstain, and then you go to have sex with your partner, and you're like, wah, wah, wah. Like, that really was not that good. Yeah. And then you have married females, a lot of them saying, like, it's not all that's chalked up to be. So the pitfall of that particular movement, it's really behavior-driven, it's fear-driven, it's I don't want you to get an STD, I don't want you to be pregnant, less about the emotional soul ties that you create when you engage in that, that level of intimacy with someone, and more about sex in the body, and less about being transformed more like Christ. Because I'll tell you what, a marriage definitely transforms and refines you, and it's hard work, it's really hard work. I think she, she just touched on something. So we used to do this marriage class. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apply this statement. Uh, we used to say to married couples, marriage, marriage is, is not necessarily, you know, everyone runs around like he makes me happy, she makes me you know, happy, or I'm unhappy. And then, and then people get, you know, they're in marriage counseling and get divorced because we've made marriage about happiness. Ma marriage, marriage has more to do with holiness than it does happiness. So when Chandra says, like, if you, want, if you really want to look more, like, the goal is, you know, Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. I'm going to look more like you. I'm going to tell you something. Uh, get off an island and get in just community with people. Right. Dare to have friends that you have an intimate relationship with, right? Dare to step into a, a dating relationship that you're willing to be intimate from a place of God actually gave us each other on a friend level, on a male-female or dating level, on a marriage level, to create in us a holiness so that we could be a reflection of who God is. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this definition of, um, as I thought about it, about, I'm going to talk specifically about sex because the reason I'm going to focus in on sex is because I think what we have in our culture today is an over-sexualized culture. Everything's about sex. You know, so we have terms. Uh, sex what? Sells, right? And we, if you really look at it, 
all of the debates in society have to do with sex and sexuality. Why, why, I'm not going to answer this question right now, but I want to pose this question to you. Why is sex and sexuality at the top of the food chain when it comes to defining people's identity? Okay. Um, sex is a covenant act of promise marked by sacrificial servanthood. Biblically, it's meant within the covenant relationship of marriage. And there's some key things that I said there. Uh, number one, it's a, it's a covenant. So, that, so you know, we need to talk about probably what covenant means. It's an act of promise that is marked by sacrificial servanthood. It's not about, Shandra and I, it's not about, hey, listen, I'm your husband. And our life intimately when it comes to our sex life, it really is about me. So... I understand you have seven kids and you have two grandbabies and you run a school and you're tired (laughs) and you're, you're a blessing. Like it's like magic. I dirty my laundry. I I come back in and there's a pile and it's clean. It's like, it's like a, it's a magic trick. I know all that, but don't you know that sex is really about me? Like, that's, that's so far from the truth. Right. Okay? But that's not how the two of us walked into our relationship. And so I'm going to let Shandra talk about how we walked into our relationship because I think it's good for you guys to, to hear this and see a couple of um, really transparent spots from us. Yeah. Someone mentioned that, okay, so it's not a big deal, and I don't know if this is a trend or just a way of thinking like it's not a big deal because we plan to get married so why not just have sex now because we're going to be married and doing it anyways why wait and so we did that so pat was my first partner ever and last partner unless god picks one of us off he almost did (laughs) dang (laughs) Because we're still young. You heard it here. She just admitted on like low key that she's going to remarry when I'm gone. Right. Yeah. <laughs> she's got plans. Yeah. <laughs> you guys all witnessed that. So we engaged in that. And I think it was all good. We were having fun. And then for a hot minute, like seven years into our marriage worth of minutes, it ravaged me. And things started to come up like you, if you cared that much about me, you valued me that much, you wouldn't allow putting everything on him, which was not fair. You wouldn't allowed us to do that. Like I feel so insignificant and now I'm bitter and I'm angry and resentful because we engaged in the act. Because I, every time, I mean, just giving that emotional part, that social, that spiritual, um, that physical part, you become one. And then what happens is it's like paper cuts in your heart, like tiny little lacerations that nobody else sees 
when you get a paper cut, nobody necessarily sees that, but it hurts. So imagine every single time all of those lacerations in your heart. And females especially, it's hard for you to like just do it. Males, not so much, because it's just very simple sometimes. Males are very much emotional though, but a female in particular cannot separate. It's very difficult to separate that emotional part of how God made us from the physical and the spiritual when it comes to intimacy. If one of those is off or has been violated, then there's a fracture in all three of them. I feel like I got thrown under the bus just a little bit. It's cool. You got a new man coming. (laughs) Dang. I'm the new man. I am. Thank you. Dude, so good. Baby number eight's on the way. Um, Wow. Look, if you came, any one of you that spent any time with Shandra and I, uh, if you've come to my house or around us, we actually are probably borderline inappropriate about how open we are about intimacy and sex and sexuality because I think because we felt so much shame and we dealt with so much of that silent kind of let's not talk about it and it just we watched in our own relationship how it destroyed us and so you know when she's talking about seven years into our marriage everything's good right Um, but really let me talk about yeah let, let me talk about what was really occurring on a spiritual level on a spiritual level, we meet each other, 17, 18 years old, raised in the church. Okay, we've, we've heard all the scriptures, um, but here's the reality. I'm going to go back to something I said. Um, I, we both are extremely driven, innately, we're driven toward what? Intimacy. Now, it, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise, it should not surprise you whatsoever that if you find this boy or this girl attractive, you're going to lean into that attraction and you, God built you to look for intimacy with that person. Um, the problem is, is that what we've done is, I'm going I'm to I'm 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 say this. I hope it's clear, Elijah. You can park us if I'm not clear. One of the most beautiful, pleasurable displays of God and his character and his nature is sexual intercourse between a husband and a wife in the covenant of marriage. It truly is the deepest way of knowing each other. It is the most sacrificial, vulnerable time you will ever spend with another person. And it is the perfect reflection of that sacrificial love that God had for us when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. It required bloodshed for that sacrifice, that servanthood. This is why physically for a female, like a virgin who's a female, has a hymen, that when they have sex for the first time, they do what? Bleed. What is it a physical sign of? The depth of how God put his story in humanity of what it means to be sacrificially servants to one another. The problem is we're living in a society that has realized and has over hypersensitized us to the bright shiny object. Let me tell you something. Sex and your sexuality is bright. It is brilliant. It is the display of God's glory. 
But what we get sidetracked with is the, is the false, less than glorious, less than brilliant image of sexuality through things we see or even pornography, where when it says, you know, 1 Corinthians 6.18, it, this is, I'm going to read this scripture uh, really quickly to you guys. Flee from sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? It's not just having intercourse with some guy or girl. It's anything outside of the context of what God built that innate desire for intimacy for. That's viewing pornography. That's having relationships. Those could be same-sex relationships. That could be heterosexual. related Outside of marriage. Man and woman, married. That is the context. Why? Because God is an intimate God. One of the words that we use synonymously for intimacy was communion. Okay? Common union. God is a communal God. He is an intimate God. And he shows in in our humanity, in his creation, he shows this intimacy through a husband and a wife who are willing to be sacrificially servants to one another, where I no longer am coming to the bed saying, this is about me, but this is about me being able to, to come to you and be able to serve you. And together, when we, when we enter into this space this way, this is the reflection of God's glory. Pornography and all of this stuff going on it's visually, it looks bright, but it is not the brilliance of God's glory. And this is what I know from my own experience in life. It will always leave you less than fulfilled than the true intimacy that God made you for. I, I, was that clear? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so so we, we, we see uh, this intimacy between a husband and a wife. Yeah as this picture. Yeah. Yet in culture we it almost feels like you're you're trying to stop me from being ha- we almost like view God's view of marriage as a, a lid on my happiness. Correct. Right? As a lid on my potential. Correct. Right? Because I, 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 I want to do what I want to do, and you're mm-hmm. telling me to do that. And I, I don't actually see it as, man, that is the most fulfilling thing I can go after, but I'm seeing it as, dang, God's trying to stop my happiness. That's right. In the same way, the very first thing the enemy did in the garden yeah. was God said, just don't touch the tree. And the enemy said, did God really say? Yeah. Because what was a lie? That, that God right. is keeping us from something. That's right. And that's the lie of culture today, that, that man, uh, that, that this, this picture uh, of marriage, that, that's actually just God trying to keep you from something. That's right. So we buy into that lie, into that distortion that the enemy has told us because the enemy cannot create something new. That's right. He can only distort what God's created. That's right. Yeah, and I think you bring up, like you bring up, so Genesis 2, God creates Shander Red, like, there was no shame. The end of Genesis 2, verse 24 and 25 is the two became, so they, they, were, they were unified. They were together. That would be marriage. And they were of one flesh. They had sex. Sex is the consummation of the covenant relationship of marriage. That, that's what it is. Genesis 3, sin occurs. And what, out of all things, out of all things that Adam and Eve could have done, they run and they hide and they hide on their personal beings. They hide what? Their sexuality. 
and they were full of shame. There is, that's how much power there is that God has given us. He built into you with, with your sexuality and with intimacy. And what is the first thing that Adam and Eve do? They go, we, we now want to hide what God actually made for good. Wow. We want to hide what the enemy always wants to pervert. Wow. Elijah said it. The, listen, the enemy can't create anything new. He can only skew and pervert what God has already created. The enemy's not a creator. He's only got one trick. So when I read through the Bible, I look and I just, that's how I view it. I go, oh, this is actually a good thing. And the enemy can only skew that, can pervert that, can make it look different, can bring us different narratives, can preach these lies to us. And so now we're sitting in a place where we go, well, I feel like, God, you just don't want me to be happy and I just want to, t- I, I want to tell you something. Your happiness will never be predicated, centered on, and be a derivative of sex. It never will be. We've been married for 26 years together for 32 years. Here's what I want to tell you. Sex is not the center of our relationship. It's good. Jesus. Jesus had to restore and redeem and he had to put back together. We, that was our language. We just want what makes us happy. And then we had to work years to put that back together. Years to, to tear down the, the lies that we then began believing in ourselves. But Jesus had to be the center. It's not sex. It's good. That's super good. Do you have anything to add? You don't. That's that's super good. I I uh, I, I want I want to take a moment um, just just for time for for Q and A. Uh, has anyone taken anything away so far? I think it's been been pretty incredible. Um, if you guys are if you guys are in the WhatsApp, drop your questions in. We've already got a few questions here, um, but in that you you guys found found yourself in this place where uh, all right. Uh, we, we've, we've, we've already had sex. We're in this relationship. Now we're married. Um, what just, just for maybe us in the room, like what, what was it that you were working through? If that makes sense? What, what was that? Uh, you, you guys had, yes, we understand you, you guys have already done it, but man, what was that main thing you guys were working through heart wise? Explain. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you said that you guys had to do a lot of deep work, like what, seven years later? Yeah. What did that deep work look like? Yeah, so I mentioned this in the beginning. I think what we had to do is the problem is never the problem. What do you mean? Uh, I just want you to like literally write this down. If you, I don't care if you're single, engaged, or married, I want you to understand something. When you have an issue with somebody, the problem that you're arguing about isn't the problem. The issue is not the issue. What it is, is, is that each one of us as humans, we're born into this world. You all are born into this world and you've had things that have hit your heart and that have, have created and have formed who you are today. And you're going to take that into a relationship with somebody. 
And a lot of what happens is because of pains, hurts, traumas, we're walking into a relationship and we're believing the lies of those pains, hurts, and traumas. And so what we had to work through, Elijah, is we had to work through, hold on a second, the fact that we're having sex or we had sex before we were married, that's not the problem. The problem was that was our replacement for what was really broken. Wow. So I came from a background where like I needed I, I, I needed intimacy, but my whole view of intimacy was completely skewed. Are you with me? Yeah. So I didn't have to we, we didn't have to sit down like in marriage counseling and go like, hey, um, let's talk about that one time before we were married. And, and, you know, we went to dinner and we promised that we weren't going to have sex. And then we did. I think we did. We did. Yeah. <laughs> that was like, that's our, that's our story, right? White knuckle it. Like, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. I'm like, dude, her nickname in my phone is hot chocolate for a reason. Okay. <laughs> that's wild. I'm just going to be, that's yeah, wild. I'm just going to, I'm just being real. <laughs> We're 50 years old. I still tell people my wife is hot, right? Listen, nothing. Some of you are blushing. You're like, that's super funny. So, isn't that funny? I have to tell you, you guys are very courageous. When I posted about this top topic last night, there were so many married couples who sent like clapping hands because they wish that they had had this conversation and wow. broach this subject like you guys are doing. We wish we had somebody to pull us aside and were forthright with us. Yeah. We were so stubborn, though, and it, living in pride that we weren't listening. We weren't. So for you guys, this is like you're way ahead of the curve yeah. Yeah. than married couples who've been married for years. And we worked on it just this last weekend. So that's how recent. We went away for a four-day intensive, and all the wounds and traumas and pain from what we, we were talking about earlier, they all came up. Yeah. And we felt like the Lord, we were delivered from that. Yeah. Yeah. So working through that, just being really repentant and asking each other for forgiveness. Yeah, I think, I think what I would say to you is, if you're like, man, I'm just driven right now. I, I, can't, I can't get away from this. It's... Sex isn't, it's not the culprit. There's a deeper wound. Hmm. There's a reason why that's going, like, yeah, I mean, number one, you're built, you're, you're built for that longing. You're built for that. But most of the time, if, if we have something that we just can't stop doing, I, I'm going to use this word compulsive almost, I just, I can't, dude, I can't stop thinking about this. I can't stop thinking this way. I can't, let me use this word. I just, this is how I feel. And I just can't get rid of this feeling. We attach that to our identity. Therefore, I am that. Last week, I think Arthur did a good job of talking about like, we can talk about trauma, but you are not your trauma. Right. So attached to what we're saying and answering that question is, what we had to work through was all of the things that had shaped and we had attached to ourselves as our identity. 
And then what happens is, is you're carrying this false identity from wounds and hurts and pains in your life. And you're going to find somebody and you're, this is what, this is, I'm telling you from experience, this is what we did. This is what's going to happen. You're going to look at that person to be God in your life and solve all those things. You're going to make that other person. So when that other person doesn't serve you, you are going to light them up. Are you with me? The best thing you can do right now, if you're single, if you're dating, if you're engaged, or if you're married, the best thing you can do right now is you can engage in a process of going, what are the deeper things that I need to be delivered and healed from? The traumas and the pains, because we have a propensity in our humanity to make other people responsible. Therefore, Chandra, you're responsible for making me feel like I have what it takes. So you better serve me sexually. You better, you, because that, that I'm, I'm a man. Okay. But what's behind that is, is a life of brokenness. She's not responsible to heal. I've literally taken my wife at this point or my significant other, if you're dating or, or again, if you're single, potentially you're, you're dying right now. Like I just need a man. I need a woman. I would ask the question, what are you really trying to solve? Because it might be even in a, in a marriage, I, I end up making my wife, my idol. She's now God. So I begin to question, why do I need that? Is it to repair and reconcile something in me that she, that's not her job? Are you with me? Yeah. Did that answer the question? Yeah, I, I guess <laughs> I have a question for that. I, I think I think that that's something that we could probably sit on and chew on for a while. I, and I want to get into these Q&A questions, but uh, what, if, what if we're in the room and it's like, okay, I understand that they'd be an idol in my life, but I would rather have them be an idol in my life than be where I'm at right now as single. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like how, how would you speak to that? Because I think like, even like the, like the, the dating landscape right now, is, it's tough. I, I, I mean, it, it, like for, for people who are like, man, I, I've, been, I've been single for, for this amount of time, and it's just, it's just tough. Like we got a question. It's like I've been single for this amount of time. I'm just looking for like, basic affection like like how how do i walk through that you know what i'm saying that's a loaded question by that super loaded (laughs) um i was actually just having this conversation with a young adult like she said i actually felt safe being in a room with other boys males and i could just hug them christian being in the room with other christian boys like it felt safe So when you're in that season of dating, um, you know, we've always talked to our girls about boundaries and because not, not legalism and not, again, modifying your behavior, but just protect yourself and, and emotional boundaries, all those different things, um, to be able to be in a season of singlehood or singleness, singlehood, or being married and because there is a longing. So sometimes that compels you to seek out erotic pleasure because there's a longer, there's a deeper need that need to be known, that need to be seen, that need to be loved. 
So some people, for instance, my mom died 60 years married um, when my father died. And I could see this depression come over her the last four years she lived with us. She just wanted to be touched. Like she just wanted one of us to come hug her. So being single, sometimes it seems like the extreme is like, I'm just going to resort to sex or I'm going to have sex. And uh, again, no shame, but it, sometimes it's fulfilling that longer, deeper need of just intimacy, being known and being seen. That's really good. That's super good. I, I, I got a question on here. Um, someone asked, uh, and I'd love to hear what you guys say. Um, someone said, what if I'm afraid of being disappointed by marriage because I've romanticized it my whole life? I think... You will, yeah. Shander said that. I think you. I think you will be disappointed. I think part of the kind of romantic idea of marriage is. Uh, uh, look, I'm going to go back to almost the question you just asked about dating. This is the problem. I think we we have these fantastical romantic ideas about if I just get if I get married if I just find that guy or that girl all the all these problems are going to go away. All of these feelings of wanting to to just have affection will go away. I've been with my wife for 26 years. A week and a half ago, I said to her, hey, I really just love your affection. And I wasn't saying, hey, will you, will you, will you come upstairs and take off all your clothes and have sex with me? I genuinely was like, her affection, her touch. This This part of like our life when... God created us like oxytocin gets released in your system through affection. And you go, oh, I feel known. And so I think if, if, if you're afraid of getting married uh, because you think you have this big romantic idea of marriage, you probably do have a big romantic idea of marriage. I don't want to burst your bubble. Marriage is amazing and it's great. But I think we have to reframe it. And I think in reframing it, it is um, this other person is not God. Right. This, this boyfriend, girlfriend, get me out of my singleness. Or, you know, let me tell you the next level of this. Married couples that say, if I just have a baby, it'll fix how I'm feeling. This is where if, if, I, if I can just find a boyfriend or girlfriend, it'll fix how I'm feeling. If I can find a fiance, it'll, it'll fix how I'm feeling. If I can get married, it'll fix how I'm feeling. You will keep chasing this because none of it is solving the issue. I'm going to go back to this. None of it is solving the core issues of the things that we're holding on to in our heart that God wants to reconcile so that you truly can step into a marriage and you can experience the greatest relationship that you could possibly have between two completely imperfect people that will guarantee fail one another at some point and make a mistake. That is not my definition of savior or God. God never fails me. He never makes a mistake for me. We, imperfect beings, we're going to blow it. Then we go to God 
and we go, Lord, we, we blew it. I was selfish. But I can't make it, it can't just be the two of us. Are you with me on that? 100%. Okay. Yeah. Like, you, essentially you're saying, yeah, you, you will be disappointed in your marriage because you're married to an imperfect person. And you yourself are imperfect. Yeah, and you're putting, you're, you're literally putting, you're going to Vegas, and you're putting all your chips on that person. Right. You're going to, you're, and I just want to tell you, you're going to lose. Right. And, and, and in, in this relationship, in this covenant, uh, th- this person is bringing out the worst in you as you are bringing out the worst in them. Correct. And it's this process of moving forward together in this refining, which is, is I would say, it feels disappointing in the moment, right? It, it, it does, but you just have to reframe your expectation. Here's the expectation. You're afraid of getting married because you have this romantic idea and you're going to be unhappy. And I said in the beginning, marriage is not about your happiness, but it's about your holiness. So good. You're going to be disappointed, but you're making it about your happiness. Yeah. God wants to unearth, if you want to unearth all the things in your life that you really think God wants to like, hey, let's work on this, get married. You're like, I love you. Here's the, here's the science. For the first 18 months, you're in a relationship with a person. Your brain is flooded with hormones that uh, leave you, the term is infatuated. I just love him or her. No, you don't. Chemically, I want to tell you what's happening in your brain. You do not love the person. You can live without them. Your, your brain is being flooded by chemicals and you're infatuated. It's also that time period in the first 18 months that you will, as man or woman, boy or girl, you're going to overlook some massive flaws in the other person because your brain, you literally, the frontal lobe of your brain, you don't have the ability to see that what they're doing is probably not good to be a mate with. Girls, you, you will overlook that guy's tendencies to do things and say things. Truth, Chandra was infatuated with me and I was infatuated with her. And she, she didn't have the ability because of the chemical overload in our bodies for us to look past really poor decisions we were making early on in our relationship. But I would actually disagree with you. I did... Do it. I, I, I loved you I, in yes. prior to the 18th month timeline. Yes. I think. Yes. I, don't, don't mistake love. Don't love. That's a whole other topic, especially love, because we love ice cream and acai bowls. But um, yes. Yes, we do. But I, I, th- I, think, I think the greater point is, is that we, we have to understand what's going on in our bodies. We have to understand really what's at play and what's driving our decisions. And, and, and you're kind of given a warning of like, hey, uh, by the way, we can get into this place where we give over the most intimate part of who we are yes. when we are most blind. We are most blind in the first 18 months. It doesn't mean that we didn't love each other. It's just that we were so stupid blind. We did things prematurely that we should have waited. Got you. Wow. Okay, and 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 we're 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 gonna wrap it up here in just a sec. But um, for 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 those of us who are single in the room, um, we got a question right here. What advice do you have to those who are walking in a season of singleness, uh, 
and you know where uh, like w- what is what is the best thing we can do to prepare or i'm 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 desiring this down the line this intimacy uh, i'm i'm desiring purity but what can i do now like when i'm walking out of the room what can i do Just like like I was saying earlier, so the different seasons, so whether you're married or single, being single, that, like Paul talks about being single um, and how he liked being in that state. I know that's probably not the case for you, any of you in this room who are single, like you're probably longing for that mate and dreaming about who that person is, but he, I feel like God uses those seasons for us to draw closer to him. In our marriage, we are constantly trying to draw close to him. And that sounds like a, a pat, like not a pat, but like a short, like Christian answer. But it really is like there's such a love story, like the intimacy, whether you're single, whether you're married, like that's a piece of heaven written in your story um, because we're image bearers. So being single, like you have the opportunity to walk in that and grow in that and be transformed in that and draw closer to God. Like that is an amazing gift for your spouse that you will marry. That's amazing. Everything to add to that? I would just add similar to, I think the discussion we've been having, I think I would try to do whatever you possibly can while you're single to prepare your heart. Um, I think we talk, we can talk a lot about the physical side of a relationship. Um, I personally have sat with a lot of married couples and had to counsel them. And typically most of the counseling has to do with the emotional destruction in a relationship, uh, far more than anything physical. And so... I think just having a really good like peg on where am I? Yeah. Who am I? Um, am I prepared? Am, have, am I in a place where I've, I've walked through maybe some things that I need to walk through? I need to, I need to deal with some things that I need to deal with. I need to deal with, and, and guys, listen, there's a lot of things that that could be. Uh, you know, I'm single right now. I come from a, let's say this is your story. I come from a divorced home where my parents, you know, before they got divorced, they just didn't even really communicate to each other. They just seemed like they were two separate people living in the same home. I mean, I don't know what the story is. That had an effect on you. So I think you sitting down in your singleness and walking through those origin stories of what's formed you uh, because we carry a lot of things into our relationships, and um, I think that's I think that's super super important. I think we know that from just our history. Now we're able to really say, "Gosh, I wish we would have walked through that." I, I the caveat to that is this, and I think I want to say this to be fair. Um, this is not an idea of I need to be perfect before God is going to present me to another person. That is not what I'm saying. No more than some of you sitting in this room tonight have fallen short maybe in some of these things 
and you may be carrying guilt or shame or you may have a weight on your shoulders. You may be in relationships that you're, you're engaged sexually with people and it's weighing heavy on your heart and you didn't need to go to a separate place and get perfect before you come here because that's the gospel story. That's why Shandra and I's sexuality together is the gospel story. I don't tell her, you need to be perfect as my wife before I'm going to love you. And she doesn't do the same to me. And so there are some of you in the room that as we talk, as we're talking about this, I don't want you to fall victim to the shame and I want you to know something, shame, that is not from the Lord. I have to tell you that. The enemy from the very beginning in Genesis, his chief thing that he wanted to put on man, mankind, men and women, was shame. That is why Adam and Eve hid. That's why, and God's chief thing was, I want to be close and intimate with you. So in Genesis 3, he says, Adam and Eve are hiding. They've made fig leaves and are covering themselves. They're covering the glory that God created for them to live in. And he, this is what God says. Where are you? God's biggest goal tonight isn't to chastise you, make you feel shame. His goal tonight is to say, where are you? I'm calling for you. I'm a loving God. An inescapable love. Like all of heaven is calling out and saying, you don't have to be perfect. I just want to be with you. That's, good. That's really good. Um, and I, I would love to wrap it up right there. Um, okay, Hal, if you could join us up here real quick. I want to close. Um, what, if, you, if you could speak to that real quick, because yeah, I, I, totally. I, I want to sit there for a second. Yep. Um, because... I feel like we, we, we can talk about shame. We could talk about, uh, you know, and then just leave. Um, but, yeah. but for a moment, um, man, for those of us who we have been exposed to, uh, for those of us who, man, we, we've exposed ourselves. I've, I've, I've walked in, in this intimacy with people I have no intention of staying with. I'm, 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 I'm carrying, I, I know you guys mentioned like ties. I'm, I'm, yeah. uh, my, my, my soul has intertwined with other, and I feel like this guilt and this shame, what's, what's the way forward? Yeah. yeah. Um, number one, I think the best thing that I could do is, is, is invite you to a place to say, hey, look at God is a God of restoration and reconciliation in that. And so um, why don't we do this? This would be the easiest, I think. Do me a favor, just, just close your eyes. And... Um, I think the Lord longs to create um, an 
an understanding and a safety for you to be able to just say, when he says, where are you? For you to say, here I am. And he asked Adam, why, why are you hiding? God, God didn't need Adam to answer the question. God already knew. He was drawing out of Adam, out of the depths of his, of his heart. He was asking him to acknowledge and to, to vocalize, to say for himself what was going on. And so I'm gonna, I want to do this. Okay, I was just playing the piano. I want you to do this right now. Just with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just begin to pray right now. Just take a second. God is asking you, where are you? And just begin to answer him. Here's where I'm at. Here I am. find your heart at, begin to just say to the Father as he's asking, to you as a son and a daughter, where are you? And you begin to tell him, begin just to tell him, to say, I'm sorry. sorry for making something out of such a beautiful, pleasurable, life-giving part of how you made me. This is a, t this is a tough situation a little bit because I want to be really sensitive. Without any specifics, if you're if, if you're dealing with shame and guilt and the weight of what we're talking about, would you do me a favor? Yeah. Would you just would you lift your hand? Would you raise your hand so I can see you? Shame and guilt. Amen. encourage you right now, the biggest thing 
that you'll feel, is you're going to feel the same thing that we saw happen in Genesis 3. You're going to want to stay hidden. And I want to encourage you at some point tonight before you leave, I'm going to pray for those of you who raise your hand. If you're sitting here and you're like, there's no way, because this would have been me probably in the room. There's no way I'm going to raise my hand. There's no way I'm going to, I'm going to make myself known in this. But I want to tell you something. I'm 50 years old. And I spent a majority of my life hiding. And there's no freedom. There is no freedom when you're hiding. And God wants to break tonight. He wants to break the bondage of that weight. And he wants to break the bondage of, of you feeling like you have to hide. His goal is to give you freedom. And so if, if you, even before you leave here tonight, you can grab Chandra and I. And we would love to pray with you. If you're a female, Chandra can just take you aside and pray with you. If you're a, a dude, I can pray with you. If you're a couple, we can pray with you together. But God is presenting an opportunity here tonight for you to walk out from underneath the shade of being hidden and the weight of it. And you may not have all the answers here tonight. Shandra and I have not, have not given all the answers to every single question. We didn't. There's a lot. There's a lot. We could talk for weeks about this. But what we did answer is, is you were made for more. And there's an intimacy that God longs to have with you. Just like when he walked in the garden, he said, where are you? For some of you, um, and this is going to be sensitive, so you can just have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Shandra and I. Some of you can relate to having a history in your life that maybe you were exposed to things that really were tough and hard and hurtful and harmful, maybe even traumatic. God's heart for you is equally as tender and, and as loving. And he wants you to know that you're not alone. You're not in isolation. That you're, it, it hasn't created an, a, an unworthiness. None of this has created an unworthiness in you. So Lord, I'm just going to pray in general. Father, for those of you who raised your hand when I, when I just said, you know, hey, shame and guilt and stuff like that. Um, Lord, I just pray for anyone in the room, anyone who, who, was, who was determined to not raise their hand but is feeling this. Um, I just pray, Lord, that you would begin to give us right perspective of what we were created for and why, and that we would stop being... Um, maybe run toward this like this pervasive idea that with without whatever it is we're trying to fill we're just we're trying to fill our hearts with something 
Lord, that you would begin to give us really good truth, really clear truth about what it is that we're really trying to accomplish and what we're trying to fill. Lord, shame would be broken off tonight. Guilt would be broken off tonight. The weight would be broken off tonight. Lord, that you don't want to modify our behavior. You want to transform our hearts. So Lord, transform. Lord, you want to transform our minds. Lord, return back to us. Chandra said this, reclaiming this territory of our sexuality. God, that tonight, every single one of us would walk out of here. Not our sexuality isn't meant to be solved, resolved. It's meant to be reclaimed. So Lord, tonight, that we all can walk out of here with a bigger part of our heart as it, as it pertains to our, our sexuality and our intimacy reclaimed that the enemy no longer has any place there in our heart. Let it start with a, even a corner of our heart. Lord, the goal is that we would give all of our heart to him. But Lord, that we would tonight, we would know that God, you are, you are reclaiming the territory of our hearts here tonight. We thank you for that. And what you've put in us is good. It's pleasing. It's a display of your holiness. And we say yes to that. In Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. Amen.